Well, today is Palm Sunday, and I grew up in church, and I grew up, um, you know, just in the normal flow of the life of church. And growing up in church, we, we you know, we come to this time of the calendar every year, and I didn't always understand what everything was happening. I mean, I loved um, in my home, the home that I grew up in, and when it came time to Easter, for Easter, I loved Easter uh, because we would always hunt Easter eggs. Did any of you, your homes, hunt Easter eggs? Yeah, some of you. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, no, that's, a, that's pagan. That's of the devil. I can't believe you did that. Well, we did it, and we loved it, and we enjoyed it. And um, I loved Easter, and uh, there, were, there were parts of Easter that I loved, and then there were parts of Easter that I didn't love. Because one of the things that happened around Easter every year was, see, I, I grew up in sort of a traditional church, and we didn't get to dress relaxed uh, like some of you are dressed today. We had to, like, dress up to go to church. Any of you have that experience? Like the one day a week you had to make sure you took a bath was, yeah. Um, and, and it always, 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 always leading up to Easter, uh, my mom would go buy Easter outfits, I did notice there was a big difference. There was a lot more of a to-do made about my sister and my mom's Easter outfit than there was my brother and I. We like got a shirt, right? And like had to go in and wash our shoes off. But my sister and my mom, they got the whole dress and there were even a few years where the hat was thrown in. That was pretty cool. Anybody besides me, yard? Yeah. I didn't like that part of Easter. I didn't like having to get new clothes. I didn't like that. But I did like hunting Easter eggs. And I did like, I did like the fact that my mom always had an Easter basket there for us when I woke up on uh, Easter morning. That was great. And there was always this weird pre-Easter thing called Palm Sunday that I never really understood. And sometimes my church would get a little bit creative on, on Palm Sunday and like, Guys would go out in the woods and cut down some branches out of some trees. Any of you ever do any weird stuff like that? I, like, what is going, you come in and like, dude's got a pine branch waving during worship. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't really understand. I remember growing up in Sunday school and them trying to teach us about Palm Sunday. This morning, I just want us to dive in a little bit. And I want us to understand Palm Sunday. And I want us to understand really what this, this day is all about. Um, Jesus, as, as you understand, Jesus, on the way to the cross, the Bible says he came into Jerusalem and a week before, the Sunday before, um, before he was to be crucified, when he came into the city, the city erupted in response to Jesus as the Messiah. Now, it's, it's a jolting story because on the one hand, People respond and they're waving branches. And again, that may be a foreign concept to us, but in their day and in their history as a people, that was the way that they would acknowledge a new king coming into a city. And so when this event took place, it was this very powerful thing that was happening. And uh, Jesus comes into the city and, and the people respond. And then just a few days later, the same people who are cheering for him and are calling him king just a few days later, are calling for his execution. That's a, that's a wild 
You, you, if you've ever think you've had a, a wild turn of events in your life over the course of a few days, can you imagine what it must have been like to be Jesus? And yet Jesus knew exactly what was happening and he knew exactly what was, what was going to take place. This story of Palm Sunday really is a powerful story, but it's also a prophetic story. I, wanna, I want you to, it projects forward to something that's gonna happen at the end times. Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 12 uh, John the Revelator is writing and he's looking at what's happened and happening in the end times and he has this prophetic view of the future and this is what he writes and after this and he, there's this whole series of events that has led up to it. I don't have time to go into it. But he says this, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I wanna read that again and I wanna ask you, I wanna ask you if you're in this room, I want you to hear these words. I want you to hear what the multitude said, what the multitude will say at the end of all things. Hear this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Palm Sunday is both a historic and prophetic demonstration of surrender. What do you mean, pastor? Well, there's different types of surrender that are included in the story of Palm Sunday. There's the, the surrender that we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus in that as he is moving toward Jerusalem, he knows that the cross is coming. As Jesus marches with his disciples, he's marching towards, he's marching towards the cross. He's marching toward rejection. He's marching toward shame. He's marching toward pain. Hear me this morning. When Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem, he has you on his mind. He's marching toward your sin. He's marching toward your guilt. He's marching toward your condemnation because there is no sin in him. There is no guilt in him. There is no condemnation in him. He's marching toward a city that is religious. He's marching toward a people who do not fully understand who, he's, who he is and yet he has surrendered to this cause, the cause of your life, the cause of your salvation. Palm Sunday is a story of surrender in that the people of Jerusalem had an opportunity, they had a choice. They would either surrender to this conquering king who was coming into the city or they would stay in their place of rebellion. 
When we read Revelation, what we read is this prophetic future in which all things have been settled and all things have been secured and all things are finalized. And in it we read, salvation belongs to the Lord. Everything, everything that will be done has been done at this point. And prophetically, Jesus Prophetically, Jesus has secured forever your eternity and my eternity. And in this moment, it is demonstrated that he is the conquering king. And it has culminated in this moment in which the world declares, in which those who understand who he is declares, we have our salvation in him. As we read about Palm Sunday, this is one of the few stories that all four of the gospels actually all four of the Gospels record Palm Sunday. I want to read from Matthew uh, chapter 21 to you. It says this, uh, Matthew chapter 21, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. See, Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem and he says to the disciples, I want you to go into this city and I want you to get a donkey and I want you to bring that donkey to me because I'm gonna use it to ride into the city. And so the disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put on their cloaks and they sat on them and, they, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. As you read this story of Palm Sunday, you read about what was happening and you read about how the city erupted in response. I want you to understand the context this morning. I want you to understand that as Jesus was moving into the city and people were rejoicing and people were celebrating, not everyone understood who he was and not everyone was surrendered to him. There were some in the crowd that knew exactly who Jesus was. There were his disciples. There were those who had been following him and they were leading the way. They had gotten the donkey. They had gotten the colt and they began to spread out their garments. And again, this was a demonstration of surrender. This was a demonstration of acknowledgement of the identity of Jesus as the conquering king. But the Bible says that there was a crowd. There were these other people who didn't quite understand what was going on. They were in the crowd but they weren't necessarily following him. They had heard about him. They had heard the miracles that he had done. There were those who said, oh, I know who he is. He's the prophet. He's the prophet from Nazareth. And so as the crowd was gathering and people were celebrating, they were enjoying the moment. They were enjoying the celebration and they were waving their branches and they were laying down their garments and they were involved in the celebration. But they had yet to surrender to Jesus and so they didn't really know who he was. See, there is a difference between being swept up and being surrendered. Sometimes I wonder, I wonder how many of us are swept up in what is going on around us, but have yet to really surrender to Jesus. 
The worship is going on and I'm singing and I'm celebrating and it's a party and it's enjoyable. I've heard about him. I acknowledge the good things that he's done in my life, but I've yet to really surrender to him. He's a prophet, but is he my king? He brings blessing into my life, but have I surrendered my life to him? I think we live in a world in 2023 in which it's easy to be a part of the crowd, but it's something totally different to have surrendered to Jesus. We do our best to make people feel comfortable. We do our best to make people feel like they can come and they can enjoy the party. They can enjoy the benefit. And that's certainly what was happening that day. People had heard stories. Jesus had fed thousands. He had done signs and wonders and miracles. They wanted those blessings. They wanted to be a part of what was happening. Here's what you really need to understand. See, for years they had heard prophecies that a Messiah was going to come and this Messiah was going to be a military leader. And as a military leader, he was gonna march into the city and he was going to overthrow the rule of Rome and they were once and for all not going to be under, they were not gonna be slaves any longer to Rome and they were gonna be completely free. And so they had heard stories about this Messiah, this great prophet who was prophesying and saying all these radical things and they were looking for years and years and years, they were looking for a deliverer and the way they perceived Jesus Jesus was through the eyes of a military leader who was going to come and who was going to overthrow Rome. And so as he was coming into the city, they were excited. They were cheering. They were saying, come, come, come Messiah, come Savior, come one who will save us the way that we want to be saved. And so as they marched, as they marched into that city, they were cheering. They were excited. They didn't really understand who he was. They didn't understand that that march was a death march. They didn't understand on the other side of all of the cheering and all of the triumph was a cross. They didn't understand that on the other side of, of all of that they were doing to make way for him, that he was making his way to a place of shame and guilt and condemnation. They thought, they thought they were about to get freedom from Rome. And what he was there to provide was freedom from their sin. See, there are many of us, I believe, in this room who are more like those people on that day of, of triumphal entry, that day of Palm Sunday, than we realize. I think that there are many of us in this room who are happy to have Jesus in our life as long as he does things the way we want him to do those things. There are many of us in this room who are happy who are happy to be a part of the crowd as long as the Lord, as long as the Lord provides me the benefits that I'm looking for. As long as he overthrows Rome and, and he addresses injustice the way that I think injustice should be addressed. The way he confronts my enemy instead of confronting me. Hello? The way he points at others and tells them, we want Jesus as long as he points at other people and, and tells them about their sin. It's when he looks at me and says, what about, what about you? What about that which you've held back? What about that which you've hidden? 
Many of us, I believe, are like that crowd that day. We're happy to get caught up in the crowd. We're happy to celebrate. We're happy to cheer. The problem is, for many of us, we have a very difficult time surrendering. We have a hard time surrendering to a Messiah that we don't understand. Please hear me this morning. Please hear me. I say it over and over and over again. He is God and you are not. There are things you will never understand. There are mysteries that you cannot comprehend. I don't care how intellectually powerful you are. I don't care how philosophical you are. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how good you are. You and I cannot overcome sin. We cannot overcome uh, humanity's moral bankruptcy. We cannot be good enough. We cannot be smart enough. We cannot be intellectual enough. There are mysteries we cannot comprehend And if we're truly gonna surrender to Jesus, we have to surrender to the mystery of a God who is beyond us, who is bigger than us, whose ways are not our ways. These folks that day were willing to cheer, but they were not willing to surrender. And that's why over the course of several days, they went from cheering Jesus on to chanting for him to be crucified. Because when he didn't behave the way they wanted him to behave, when church didn't look the way they wanted it to look, when the worship song wasn't the way they wanted it to be, when when sin was being dealt with and he was going into the temple and cracking whips and, and, and stuff was being addressed, all of a sudden now it's like, whoa, I don't want this kind of a Messiah. When he began to teach parables and he began to address issues in their life to expose mysteries, all of a sudden it was, I'm not really sure this is who I'm looking for. Can I help you with something this morning? He is God and you are not. You were created in his image. He was not created in yours. When you and I try to reform God in our image, the Bible teaches us we create a false God. And man's attempt at religion and philosophy over and over and over again is an attempt to try to be God ourselves. It's original sin. It's the same place where we come back to in which we try to recreate God in our image. And here's what happens. Here's what every one of us in this room does. We reject God when he doesn't play by our rules. We refuse to surrender to him when the cost that he asks us to pay is one that we simply will not pay when we have to surrender ourselves. See, here's the thing. The revelation of Christ makes a claim that must be responded to. What we find out on Palm Sunday is that there's a crowd, there's celebration, there's energy, there's always oh, coming and I'm looking forward to this. But when he came into the city and it was revealed that he was the Messiah, now all of a sudden everybody has to respond to this claim. See, up until this point, Jesus had been very careful 
When his disciples would begin to make public who he was or when he would do miracles, most of the time, Jesus would tell people, hey, don't tell them that I'm the Messiah. Don't tell them that I am, that I am declaring that I am the son of God. I mean, there were times leading up to it that he had kind of let it leak a little bit, but by and in large, there had not been a massive display of his claim of identity as the child of God. There had been little dribbles of it here and there, but in this moment, everyone had to decide. The Pharisees had to decide. The Sadducees had to decide. The religious Jews had to decide. The people who were following him had to decide. The people who were close to him had to decide. The people who were kind of on the fringes had to decide. Do we accept that he, say, that he is who he says he is? Or do we reject him? See, there's some point in your life I need, you, I need you to hear me this morning. There's some point in your life that you either have to accept that he is who he says that he is or you have to reject him. And, and can I let you in on something? Every time that you don't accept that he is who he says he is, you are rejecting him. No, I'm in the crowd waving the branch. No, he knows your heart. You can wave the branch all you want to. He knows your heart. And in a moment, you'll move from waving the branch to chanting crucify him because your heart isn't surrendered. Every time the identity of Christ is revealed to us, we make a choice. We respond to that claim. I either surrender to the fact that he is the Messiah or I join. I join in those who reject him and claim he should be crucified. As Jesus came into the city, he went into the temple. He began to uh, clear out the temple. I wish I could do a whole sermon, and I will. I, I think I've done it before, but I think I'm gonna do it again sometime soon. He did a whole thing where he cleared out the temple. Whew. Lord, in 2023, my, my prayer is that you start by cleaning out the temple. We need the church cleaned out. He goes in and he cleans out the temple. And then he begins to tell a, a series of parables. Um, and in the series of parables, really, what he's doing, one after another, what he's doing is, is drawing a distinction. You're either going to embrace the kingdom of God or you're gonna continue to live in the kingdom of darkness. There's, there's no in between. The line, the proverbial line in the sand has been drawn. You're either gonna choose to follow me and everything that that means or you're gonna reject me and everything that that means. And he tells this series of stories and it's challenging everybody in his, everybody in his circles. It's challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious Jews, but it's also challenging his disciples and those who are close to him and those who are on the fringe. There's no, there's no gray area left at this point. And in this series of teaching, Jesus is making everybody mad. He makes everybody mad. He offends the heart of everyone around him. If you don't understand that, then you're not really reading those in context. Everyone, everyone around him would have been challenged in this moment. Because even his closest disciples were marching into the city thinking they were going in to be conquering kings. They didn't even understand what was going on. 
They had been following around. They had been used by him. They had been anointed by him. They had cast out devils in his name. And even they didn't understand that he was going to the cross. So in this moment, in this series of teachings, Jesus was, Jesus was drawing the line really, really clear. Do you really know who I am? And are you really willing to accept who I am? And I wanna read, I wanna read one of these parables that Jesus tells, Matthew chapter 22. I'm just gonna read part of it. Verse two and three, it says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they would not come. Now, I wanna encourage you during your daily 20 this week to read from chapter 16 all the way through Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection in the book of Matthew. Do that during your daily 20 and you'll see this series of teachings and parables that Jesus gave. And this is one of them. And again, it's the same repeated concept over and over again. Really, Jesus drawing clearly, are you going to accept me as the Messiah, the real Messiah? Or are you going to play, do you, do you want me to play by your rules? Or are you going to submit to me? Are you going to surrender to me? And in this parable, Jesus tells the story of a king who's thrown a wedding, having a wedding for his son. And um, the wedding feast is prepared. And he sends out to sends out the notification to the guests that the feast is prepared, it's time to come and celebrate. So to understand in context here, you know how, you know how we have to go to weddings and they last all day? Well, in that context, weddings would last over the course of multiple days. And, and um, whew, that's a long ceremony, right? <laughs> but it was a beautiful, I mean, culturally, just an incredible celebration. And you know how we spend a lot of money on weddings? You have no idea. See, here's the thing. You would get engaged, you would get betrothed, and you were, you were, you were legally bound at that point. But then the, the bridegroom would go, and he would spend sometimes weeks, months, and even years building a house for his bride and the family saving money for this big feast that would happen at the wedding. And, and no one really knew no one knew when it would be time. But as soon as they got enough resources together, they would call out to their friends and their family and their special guests and the bridegroom would go get his bride and, and they would have the big ceremony. It was a huge celebration. And there was this mystery around it. No one knew when it was going to happen and the way that it worked is you would, you would go. And, and this king had done this and he had prepared this huge feast. And when he went out, the Bible says, when he went out to gather the guests for the wedding, um, the guests responded in a few different ways. Some of the guests said, ah, you know what? I'm busy this week. School break, the kids are on school break, so we're gonna take a little time. We're gonna go to the Berg. So I'm a little busy this week. Sorry, I can't come. Oh, I got a lot going on at work. I can't come right now. I've got a lot to do because this is a huge commitment. Because again, remember, it's not just a whole day, it's days. It's a big deal. If you go to the wedding, you're going for days. Like you're gonna be eating biryani for days. <laughs> I can't come right now because I have other, I'm busy. I've got these other ambitions. I've got these other dreams. I've got this other agenda. And my agenda is more important than what you have going on right now. Sorry, I can't come. 
So there were those kind of people. Then there were those kind of people who, um, like, they were like, ah, man, I quit bugging me about this. And the Bible says that they became so annoyed that they, they killed the messengers from the king. They, they responded violently to the invitation. They were so offended by the invitation that they responded violently. And then there were a third group of people who, who responded and came to, to the party. And some of them came to the party, but they didn't really come to the party. Very quickly, there are three types of response. I believe Jesus is bringing out very clearly because again, he's speaking to everyone who's in his circle, in his atmosphere at that moment. And there are those, and this is how some of us will respond to the Lord in the moment when he reveals himself to us. There are some of us who simply, who simply say, you know what, I don't have time for that. I'm gonna ignore this call. I'm gonna ignore the revelation of Jesus. I'm gonna act like, I'm gonna act like I didn't even hear it. I've got my own agenda. I've got my own plan for my life. I've got my own dream. I've got my own ambition. And my dream and my ambition and my view of the world is more important than surrendering to the master when he comes calling to my life. I'm just gonna ignore it. And there are those, there are those who, Surrender, but then there, there are also those who, um, they resist. They don't, just, they don't just act like they don't hear it. They like respond violently. They get offended. They get offended. How dare you? How dare you ask me to give up my, my week and come? How dare you ask me to give up my life? And, they re- and so, Got to understand, there were people who were in Jesus's world at that time. There were some who just, they ignored. They ignored the signs and the wonders and miracles. They couldn't explain it. It didn't fit into their world. It didn't fit into their agenda. And so they just ignored it. And then there were those who didn't just ignore it. They responded violently. They attacked it. They went after Jesus. They went after his disciples. They instigated the rebellion against him. They instigated. And then there were those, this is so interesting, as Jesus tells the story, he said, after the king's people were rejected, he sent, he sent them back out and he said, okay, go find anybody. Go find, any, go find anybody anywhere and bring them to the celebration. And the Bible says, you can read it later, the Bible says that he went out and, he, and they went out and they found people and they came into the party and the, par- the hall was full. The place was full and it was a party. It was a celebration. And everything's great, right? Now all of a sudden the bride and the bridegroom have a full house and everyone's there and they're rejoicing and they're celebrating and it looks like the wedding's gonna happen and everything is wonderful. And then the Bible says the king is walking around and he finds this guy who's not wearing the wedding clothes. And he says, wait a minute, why do you not have on the wedding clothes? See, in that culture and in that day, Here's what they would do when you came to a wedding. Uh, and this is where I was talking about. You talk about spending money. When they came to a wedding, they would actually make special wedding clothes for every guest who came to the wedding. Because now everyone's a part of the celebration. You're, you're expected to come. 
You're expected to put on these wedding clothes. You will be anointed for the wedding. Uh, uh, perfumes will be put on you. Everybody and everything in the atmosphere has joined in, to, joined in in unison with the celebration and the covenant that is being made. Everyone is joining into that covenant moment. Everyone surrenders their individuality to celebrate the covenant. Oh, I didn't do a very good job earlier in the message, so I got to do better for you guys to understand this. When Revelation talks about, ooh, I hope you get this. When Revelation talks about every tribe and every nation and every tongue coming before the king, what it means is that a white boy from Texas isn't a white boy from Texas anymore. It means that a black Zulu from KwaZulu-Natal is not a black Zulu anymore. Hello? From every tribe, every nation, every tongue, I'm exchanging my individuality. I'm exchanging my personal claim on my identity, my personal claim, my need to be different, my need to be validated in my individuality. All of that is surrendered before the king. I'm exchanging all of that and I'm putting on the wedding garment. I'm putting on the identity of the one who has prepared the way for me, who has created for me an exchange of garments of heaviness for garments of praise. One who is prepared long before I arrived, who's toiled and who's gone through the pain and the process of making preparation and paid a price for me that I can never pay for myself. Who says, Randy, you come and you take off your garment and you exchange it. You exchange your individuality. You exchange your brokenness. You exchange the labels that you wear, the things that make you have your identity. You exchange all of that and you put it at my feet and instead you take on the garment to praise. I don't need to be smart. I don't need to be strong. I don't need to be holy. I don't need to be good. I don't need to be whatever. All of these things, all of my life, my culture and my society and my brokenness and my rejection and my fear. I don't need all of those labels anymore. It's not my identity. My identity has been exchanged. And I am now in unison with this great covenant family with all of its color and all of its beauty and its essence and its perfume. So the king says, wait a minute. You're here, but you're really not here. You're here. You're eating my food. You're enjoying the celebration, but you've not surrendered to the unison of covenant. So either you're here or you're not here. Either you've exchanged and surrendered your individuality. You've exchanged and surrendered your need to carry your labels and wear your garments. Either you surrender that or you're not at the party. Matthew 22 verse 14 says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Well, I read those words of Jesus, and it, it's so offensive to me. I don't understand it. What does it mean? 
read the story. What it means is that God in heaven loved you enough to make a way for you. He invited you. He created a garment for you. He created a way for you. You didn't belong. I don't belong. But he said, I love them so much. I know them, care about them. I'm gonna make a way for them. So a garment was created for you. A way was made for you. Will you, will I, come, lay at his feet all of the stuff from the outside and with all the mysteries and all the surprise and all the, I don't belong, all of that laid aside. Will I acknowledge Will I surrender? Will I accept? He is God. I am not. There are things I may not understand. There are things I may not be able to explain. But what I've learned is that inside his kingdom, inside his family, inside his covenant, is hope and peace and life. And that's something I cannot do for myself. Only he can do it for me.